Hey, this is the Solomon Investor Show. I am your host, Blake Templeton, and this is where we focus on the wealth strategy of the world's wisest man, King Solomon, and we translate it for you, the 21st century investor, covering everything you need to know from wealth to faith to excellence. It's time to stop trusting the public markets and look to history's first trillionaire on how to build real, lasting wealth. Look, over the past 14 years, we've applied these exact principles in more than 300 plus transactions. Not one single investor has lost money. That trillionaire was King Solomon. We'll be sharing his wisdom on how to build wealth in a way that's translated for the 21st century investor. My name is Blake Templeton, and this is the Solomon Investor Podcast. Today, my special guest is CEO of Cambridge House International, Jay Martin. Cambridge House has built on the belief that ideas are better when shared and people are better when connected. He's hosted some of the largest investment conferences and now focuses most of his time on his YouTube channel, where he interviews some of the greatest investment and macroeconomic voices of our time. Okay, so Jay is super down to earth. He's a wise thinker. Uh, I love the pitch and catch with him as we're all seeking to you know, cut through the noise and the drama and find investment truth before everyone else finds it, because that's how the wealthiest investors make their money. All right, with no further ado, Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, well, I'm really excited to interview you because um, as you and I were talking before the show, you've done so well in moderating and pulling so many different like big voices, massive experts, People who, what I'd say, own their domain in their field of whether it's macroeconomics or um, an investment perspective, and you moderate and extract greatness out of these people. So I'm here to extract greatness out of you. So I'm going to look forward to doing it. Um, I think it'll be some really good iron sharpening, iron time. Um, but before we start, I want to talk about your ideal day. Um, I picked this up and uh, you like a hard workout, some dark coffee and a couple hours reading. Tell me what kind of workout you do. What's what's that look like for you? <laughs> That's great. I love it. Yeah. No, you're you're right on the money. Um, so I, I I do a lot of martial arts. Um, okay. I like to, I like to lift a lot, but I'm dealing with this recurring rotator cuff injury right now. So I'm like I'm quite frustrated by this, and uh, so as a consequence, I signed up for an ultra marathon on August 13th. So that is what I'm doing now. I'm uh, I live in a town called Squamish. If you're familiar, it's between Vancouver, BC, and Whistler. So a beautiful little mountain town. Great trails around here, and there's this iconic race every August called the Squamish Fifty. And um, that's intense. Quite, yeah. Well, you will. It's easy to sign up, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it is intense. The training is intense. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I've had some awakenings in my test runs. You know, I'm sort of. The challenge is it's it's 50 kilometers, which is a, a good distance, but the crux is the elevation. It's uh, 2,500 meters. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know that in miles and feet, but but uh, but it, you know it is what it is. And and um, <clears throat> so I've done some test runs and, and training hard for that. And it's been honestly really fun, like a refreshing uh, shift in my typical uh, lifting and fighting um, protocol. So yeah, I'll mix it up a little. Some- confusion in that muscle memory and, and yeah. trying some new things. That's good. It's um, changing the body for sure. Yeah. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest things that people in their investments forget about is that they, 
if they're really good in their investment world, they get really niched down and narrow-minded and they actually lose focus on what probably really matters, which is if you don't have a body to actually live out the money that you actually earned, what's even worth. So um, that's cool. Love that. Um, okay. So I want to jump into this. Um, you have so many perspectives that you have received through interviewing everyone that you've interviewed. Uh, I mean, obviously you've done the massive conferences, so you've brought all the top experts in that field or that, um, that setting rather. And then you've done these uh, powerful one-on-ones and you've been doing this for, you know, quite a few, what now, uh, five or so years we've been really pushing and then really now in this last 12 months really honed your craft um you've got so much wisdom on what's happening right now so i want to pick your brain on this okay um with everyone that you've been moderating and all the debates where do you see the consensus of where um the voices are aligning and then where there's like massive uh, contrasting in the debates. So from um, inflation, deflation and economic theories and gold and Bitcoin and uh, you know everything around that. What do you see is like, yeah, I think I see these voices aligning and I see like everyone's kind of all over the place on this. Yeah, that's like that's the whole reason I do this, Blake, is to find that consensus. Um, Cause I can give you a, you know, a, a real example of how that can benefit you, you know, last winter and spring, it didn't matter who I talked to from sort of the macro world. Um, you find contrasting opinions and, and, and various theses and all of this stuff, but the common thread last winter and spring among the personalities in macro that I really trust and respect was that they all were building positions in Bitcoin. This is like sort of, you know, well, March, April, May, and June. And I mean, the, the, the consensus was have a non-zero position. Some were all in, like Raul, 98% of his investable assets, right, right, right. as he defines irresponsibly long, um, to Lynn Alden, just have some skin in the game, but whatever, across the board. And that's all that I look for, because that is a tidal wave of money. You know, that that is sentiment weighing really hard into one thing. Right. And so you know what happens next, you know, the smart money moves first, the retail follows. And so it's our job as, as savvy retail investors to spot that avalanche and then get ourselves in front of it. Right. And obviously that ended up being a great trade. Um, you know, and, and right now, to be honest, Blake, it's a really tough question to answer because I want to give you an interesting answer and I'm just not getting it right now from, from the conversations that I'm having. It's almost like everyone's kind of taking a break you know, from, from the 2020 that was so chaotic. Macro is quite flat, right? Gold's quite flat. The dollar's yeah. quite flat. There's not a lot of, um, and, and the one trade that people keep on pointing to in times like this is, uh, well, it's, it, it's creating more of a binary, um, I guess, divide between two camps again, which is called the leader of the gold bugs. Maybe you call that Peter Schiff and the, the leader of the, the crypto is the trade this year and call that Raul Pal. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, it's been interesting talking to Raul because he is, he's usually got a pretty accurate thesis and forecast and, and definitely a unique take, um, as a lot of these personalities do. But one thing that struck me with him during our last conversation was his perspective and forecast had changed and he acknowledged it right away. And 
He came out and said, look, the, the markets are, are bulletproof right now. Um, there's nothing the Fed won't do. And, and this insolvency crisis that I've been looking for, I was wrong. And there's no telling how long this is going to go and, and macros flats. And, you know, it's so it's yeah, I, I'd love to give you an exciting, um, debatable answer. And I just don't have one right now. It's well, um, what's, I mean, on that note, um, I think this is one thing that's just so important to realize. So as a Solomon investor, um, we're looking at being what we call God directed, because this is a, a great example that if we lean on our own understanding and everything, I mean, we're going to stumble because man only has so much wisdom. And so I think there's some wisdom in what you're saying is like essentially calling a timeout, cutting the emotions. One thing that your uh, channel is really good on is you're like, hey, let's let's like sift through all the noise because there's a lot of noise. And so, um, yeah, some of that is everyone uh, brought their own rules and beliefs into what they were going to present as their you know, theory. And those theories are all, you know, on uh, wet, wet cement right now. And uh, so it's really interesting um, that there's definitely that debate. There's definitely an interesting picture from both sides. Raul obviously has, um, I love his point of views on, uh, he's got a lot of reasonable arguments that really practically make sense in, uh, in most cases. And um, then you've got, you know, Michael Saylor is backing that up and actually putting his, you know, his actual money where his mouth is. And I think we'll talk some more about that. Um, let's jump into this. Um, we talk a lot about zombie companies. We talk about uh, these companies that, uh, you know, are the S&P 500 who can't pay off their debt payments with their cash flow. And you just interviewed Dave Coleman uh, or Dave Colum. And mm -hmm. uh, man, I love that interview. Dave seemed so balanced and you actually made point of it. You're like, man, I, I appreciate this. Um, he wasn't taking a side of the right or the left politically. He wasn't taking a side of a certain um, type or way or modality of investment. He's like, man, what's best for like what seemed to be most wise. Mm -hmm. And so one thing he talked about was, and I, I we, we talk about it a lot, but I hadn't heard this updated number. And he said 20% of the S&P 500 are essentially zombie companies which, you know, when you break that down, that's a hundred companies, a hundred companies out of 500 can't even pay the debt that they have with their cash flow. And yeah. like, when I process that, Jay, I think like a hundred of the largest companies, these are, these should be the fortresses, the, the towers. Um, but he broke it down so beautifully because he said that in like the mid 1990s, there was, you know, 9% interest and only 2% were zombie companies in the S&P. And that's a really good thing for like the listeners to understand that was when it was so high and 9% versus zero, I mean, that's astronomical, you know, amount more in your expense, yet only 2% were actually not able to pay the bills. But now we essentially have 0% interest rate. I mean, you can't get any better than this. Uh, 0%, you should be killing it. You should be exponentially wildly wealthy. And yet a hundred of them, 20% can't actually pay off their, uh, pay their debt with their cash flow. So understanding that um, where the market sits and all the voices that you've heard, um, what do you think about the public market? You know, what are you, what are your expectations about the stock market? Maybe a potential crash. I know you've had Harry Dent on, 
Um, then you get Raul saying, you know, that they'll continue buying corporate debt and they'll continue throwing money in. Um, but what are your thoughts? What something actually has to give at some point, even if it's even even if the money's not giving. Um, I think it's you know Harry that says, you know, when you when you're taking that drug and that drug mm. keeps coming in and it keeps it becomes less and less effective. You know what truly what truly can happen? What are your thoughts? What's your brain dump on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, I think anybody who gives you a, a confirmed forecast, like I, lo- I love Harry Dent. He's, he's fun to have on the show. He's very, uh, very confident in his convictions. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll poke fun at him. You know, Harry Dent's sure. the analyst who's called 13 of the last two recessions, right? I mean, that's the For truth, sure. right? But it's a narrative that sells. You know, I'm not touching the broad equities market with a 10-foot pole. Despite the fact that it's probably going to keep going up because, you know, this this administration is not going to do anything but continue to prop it up. To, to your point, that number is going to increase. 20% is going to go up. That's what I believe. And it's it's so how does that end? I mean, we could speculate all day and neither of us has the answer. But the thing is, like, I think there's um, if I were to look at one one sort of behavioral trait in the market that strikes me as a massive red flag, it's sure. that. You know, if you've been trading equities, you've been in the market for, you know, a decade, and you feel like you're a veteran, you know, it's a long time, right? Yeah. But what has a decade in the market taught you? What is 11, 12 years at this point in the market taught you? It's taught you that the market goes up. Sometimes it corrects and then it goes up again, right? And you've never actually had to experience, actually experience a real crash. They, they happen with cyclical consistency but recency bias blinds us to that. And it's so hard to grasp that this could happen to us too. You yeah, know, you look at point. crises of the past and market aside, any aspect of your life, you know, crises can happen to you too. We're in the global pandemic. Like, like who would have thought? I recall last, I don't know, winter, like 2019, my wife and I were looking for something to watch on Netflix. And there was some documentary on Netflix. I think it was just called Pandemic. I can't recall. But it was it was kind of like outlining, you know, what would occur, you know, and all this. And we turned it off to like, this is so ridiculous. This would never happen today. (laughs) Three months before the WHO made that announcement. So it just goes to show that, like, you know, we're so blinded by recency bias. And and that's why, you you know, in these scenarios, like your best tool is perspective from a distance, you know, and I don't know, study history, but like. I, my, my portfolio is very much the, uh, the barbell approach these days, right? I'm ultra conservative on one end and I'm ultra speculative on the other. And I've got nothing in the middle because I don't trust it. I look for asymmetric risk with dramatic upside potential with money I can afford to lose on over here. And and yeah. then over here, it's the cash gold real estate, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's really, it's, it's a, it's a powerful point of, uh, instead of trying to actually go find and pigeonhole the, the thing that's going to happen when we know we've got all the variables before us. And we know, I mean, what you said was very important for most to realize most, even if they're, you know, in their fifties or sixties and you've been, you had a mutual fund or you've had some kind of portfolio of something for 30 years, you haven't been paying attention. I mean, all, all the clients that come to us, I'm like, you know, what do you have and where is it and how much is it? And it's like, no one knows. So clearly you haven't been paying attention. And, and the, the, the cycle is truly 
um, cyclical in the sense that the washing of the um, monetary system has to actually happen for the cleanse because we have imperfect uh, principles, you know, that are actually creating the the breaking points inside it. Uh, Keith Cunningham says, uh, "What's your upside? What's your downside?" And then, you know, can you live with your downside? Mm-hmm. And the realization right now is is that you have no idea what the downside is. I mean, uh, you've got Raul saying that you know, that they're going to keep pumping money in, but that's under the assumption that pumping money in is actually going to continue the hot air balloon going up. But the larger the hot air balloon gets, the more hot air it needs. And at some mm-hmm. point, the hot air balloon doesn't actually keep going up anymore. That's right. And so um, what you're saying is, is you stay out of that public market in the sense of what's actually being propped up and you're going for asymmetrical returns and the only difference between you and I is we're going for asymmetrical in two different places, but we're not doing it in this public market that's manipulated because we see the writing on the wall that it, whether it crashes tomorrow or, you know, they kick the can on further, it's the least safe place for someone with, a, with wisdom to actually be investing. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's either too much autopilot investing to your point, maybe not paying attention, just, making those assumptions. It's, there's too much FOMO investing, but at the end of the day, Blake, like, you know, I guess what I always come back to before I allocate any cash is what's my edge, right? Like it's a competitive, right? If I'm buying someone selling, if I'm selling, someone's buying. So what's my advantage before I enter any arena? It's like, you know, it's a good point. And if I don't have one, I'm, I'm, I, that other end of the barbell, right? I'll just hold on to cash because there's a new bus every 15 minutes, you know, and wait for that one. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a really, really good point. Uh, and I think where we really have synergy with that is in this conversation about Bitcoins. So I want to come back to that in just a second. You did an interview with uh, Stephen Harper, and he had a quote that I grabbed a hold of when he said, we didn't have a financial crisis. This was a deliberately mandated recession. Yeah. And, you know, that's a... Um, it's a strong point that he had a lot of strong points in that. Um, but that was a really good one because it was, it was quite deliberate when you actually, you know, play Monday morning quarterback and you actually look at the big picture. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. What, what, what pieces of that really um, resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, he was incredibly candid for, uh, you know, the, an ex prime minister, right. Leader of a G seven nation. Yeah. And he, let me push into almost any topic I wanted to, uh, including, you know, the, at the time, this was January, some pretty significant civil unrest, you know, in, in the U.S. And we went everywhere. He didn't let me talk about the current administration. He saw that coming and circled around me very quickly. But, you know, his comments there, they, they struck me as very honest. Uh, they struck me as a policy that he did not agree with. And I'm putting words in his mouth. So take that as a grain of salt. But, but um I mean, he's right on the money and, um, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it struck me as we, we have this, like, I see this frequently human beings have a, have a bit of a low tolerance for low risk. It seems mm. right? we're great with high risk at and shutting it down and putting it in regulation, and protecting ourselves. We're mm-hmm. great with zero risk and going all in and being reckless and having fun. But when it comes to those low risk scenarios, it, it's like, we don't, 
we don't do it very well. We tend to push it one way or the other, right? When sometimes it's just a low risk scenario that you have to live with. Mm. And, you know, I, um, again, like if I were to sort of speculate on how he may have tried to manage the scenario, it might've been more aligned with that, right? Uh, that there's a real risk occurring right now. It's uh, the current response is maybe a bit disproportionate to say the least. And, um, but it is what it is, right? And uh, that's why it's, there's this, this drip now to small, medium enterprises, to your point about the you know, zombie companies, we're creating this uh, expectation and, and need, right? And it's like, how do you end that? I mean, the most sombering, the most sombering uh, response he gave me was uh, when he started talking about this, you know, sovereign debt crises that he couldn't see a way out of, right? Mm. In the very near future. And he's like, this is, we're accelerating this. We're, we're going this direction now. How do you stop this? Yeah. Um, this is very real. And in his words, in the very near future, a very real uh, sovereign debt crisis, which is something that, you know, I mean, to, to, to refer back to our, if we haven't lived through it, it's hard to imagine it could occur, but that's exactly one of those scenarios and hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, obviously the, the last bullet in the gun's already been shot. I mean, we're, we're out of bullets. The only thing they can do is continue the process. And so, you know, you've had, a, you've had multiple different podcasts where uh, the person you were speaking with, you guys were really candid with the idea of um, it's not really um, a lot of like um, genuine creativity and ingenuity and like thinking behind the scenes of what they're actually doing and how they're fixing the system. No, it's actually, they just don't really know what to do. They don't have any, you know, opportunity to do anything different. They've already messed up way long ago and uh, they don't want to, you know, in the dollar at this point and do something um, that would, you know, end it a certain way. So they're going to end up, end up ending it, you know, however, just kind of wherever the, the marbles fly, if you will. So, um, yeah, we can all relate to that. You know, we've all been in a position where we're leading something, a group of people, a family event, a company, whatever, and you end up in over your head, right? And yeah, sure. you have to guess, you know, you don't know what to do, right? And so we can point the finger and say, this is, you know, whatever it is, but at the end of the day, like, they're just like you. I mean, our leadership is just people like you and I, Blake, and they're, they don't know what to do. How could they possibly know what to do? Right. And they're making very consequential decisions. And it's like, I wouldn't want to be in that position. It gets back to the sovereign mindset, right? Like you gotta, you gotta understand that there's no, there's no, uh, you know, all knowing leadership that's going to take care of you here. Like this is up to you to take care of yourself right now, more so now than ever, you know, you know that's, that's the point is that you have to rise up, step up and like actually own your domain and your investments. You've got to have the financial literacy. You've got to actually like have a boiling point of hatred for something or someone who can actually steal all of your value and all of all the things you've worked so hard to earn and like, it's now that you have to do this. It's no one's going to do it for you. Like, you are the great one. No one else is coming. 100%. 100%. You, Very important to realize that. You, uh, again, going, let's, let's go back to Bitcoin because you've, you've tapped on that in the very beginning um, that a lot of them were you know, unanimously on a point of you got to have some, um, even though maybe there might have been debates on inflation and deflation, when something's going to happen and which one's going to happen first. 
Um, so we've got Bitcoin. And for some people, especially those, um, obviously, the older we get, when a topic like this comes up, uh, you have less digital repertoire, if you will, to it, to receive through. So you either kind of like block it because you don't get it or you actually, you know, have dove in to actually understand it. But we're talking about um, something that we're calling maybe a, a bank in cyberspace, as Michael Saylor would say, or a digital gold or um, a, you know, here, here's one of my favorites, a thermodynamically sound engineered digital monetary network and the first workable digitary, digitary monetary network in history. So this is something that's way bigger than um, just a, a commodity. It's way bigger than just a currency. It's way bigger than just a technology. Um, it's actually an asset class moving into the future that has the ability to actually affect the entire monetary system. Uh, tell me uh, with, you know, you've obviously picked, you know, from Raul to uh, so many other people in that world. Um, what is just, I would love to just have a brain dump of what does Jay actually believe? Um, not necessarily, is it going to go to a million dollars, but Hey, you know, these are some really like strong points uh, what other points do you have like that that, that resonate with you? Yeah, it, it's to me a very confusing asset, and I, 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 I'm ready, like very willing to acknowledge that because I think it just hasn't had time to prove what it is, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's that's innovation, right? That's normal, sure. right? That's very normal. Um, but be wary of the evangelical opinions about what Bitcoin is and what it will be. Just be wary of those because I've seen that show a hundred times before, you know, whether we're talking about, well, once again, Bitcoin in 2017 or the gold market in 2011, like when, when these assets, you know, are so frothy and your conviction increases every single day because the price goes up and the support increases and you're you were right yesterday so you're more right today so you're more right tomorrow and it just reinforces your conviction it's a little bit dangerous so <clears throat> usually i know why i buy something and because i know why i buy it i know when and why i will sell it right so if i believe bitcoin is a speculation then i should be de-risking and taking profits right that's what i would do in this scenario right uh but i don't necessarily believe it's a speculation. Um, if I believe it's a safe haven asset class, then I shouldn't be too worried about the price. Should continue to dollar cost average in, sit tight, don't worry about it, right? Treat it like the gold in my safe, right? Treat it like my residence, or treat it like sure. my real estate, all this stuff. If I believe it's a currency, well, then I should be buying as much as possible regardless of the price because I guarantee you, if I were to survey my neighborhood, maybe 10%, have a Bitcoin position, maybe, sure. probably 5% at best. Right. So if we move towards some kind of competitive reserve currency, that number is going to go way up. And for my neighborhood to have 50% adoption, you could assume the price is going to be up, you know, 5X by then. And so sure. that's where I'm a bit stuck. So since I'm stuck, I want a horse in the race. I don't want to lose sleep over it, right? And so I treat it like a safe haven asset class because by dollar cost averaging in, I'm not worried about losing the money I've invested. So I don't have to worry about the speculation de-risk, right? 
I believe it's going to correct dramatically to the tune of 40% or more. And that's going to be the real testing ground for all the, um, the real evangelical Bitcoin personalities and the, all the memes, the diamond hands, the <laughs> have fun staying for whatever it is. Like, yeah, it's easy to be cocky when you're having a party and everything's going up. But like, you know, we've seen these cycles before. I know how this party ends, right? Um, so that's the real test of conviction. But you know, I, I treat it like my goal at this point because I don't have a better idea of how to treat it. And I think it's a fine idea. I have a healthy position, you know, if it continues to go up. I'm, I participate in the upside. If it goes down, it doesn't change my life tomorrow. Um, and I intend on holding through the next correction. I intend on, on seeing it correct 50%, et cetera, whatever happens there. And, you know, just if I believe it's a safe haven asset class, I should be happy about that, right? Yeah, I'm I think that's, a, that's a, a really good um, point of wisdom and width. Um, yeah, I think of it from the mindset that it's, it's um, to your point of it's hard to quantify in, in, in a big picture. Um, I heard it once said, it, it's like explaining Bitcoin as a bank is like explaining Amazon to Barnes Noble, you know, back before Amazon or um what money can, where what Bitcoin can do as, you know, a currency is like, you know, email before the post office. Um, the thought that we would actually have email meant, I mean, why would you do that? You just, you, we already have a system, we already have a protocol for it. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely this point that it's, it's bigger and it's harder to understand. Um, one thing that makes me lean the other direction though, is like the high rail system from PayPal to Square to, um, you know, Vimeo, where you can actually move this actual digital energy or this technology as a currency and actually go buy things where this high rail system turns the U.S. dollar as it swipes your merchant card, your custom Bitcoin, you know, certified merchant card is turns into U.S. dollars at the restaurant without the cashier sliding it, even knowing that it's Bitcoin on it because it follows their actual system. Mm-hmm. Um, so you made a really good point that, um, yeah, when this actual um, drop happens, whether it's 40 to 50 percent, whatever it is, that will be a strong test to see, uh, you know, how long. How long does it take or is is the belief system already there? Uh, firmly cladded with enough people to actually hold through that. Um, and, you know, time will tell. We have obviously the majority of those that you are saying, you know, they have all the memes and stuff, you know, are saying I'm a hodler for life, you know, we'll see, you know, but, uh, but we'll see the time will, the time will be tested then. And, and I think it's so important to know that no one has the crystal ball. And that's why it's like leaning on your own understandings, means nothing. You made a good point to like, I want to have a horse in the race. Cause I, I, in wisdom, I see the ability that it has. I see the asymmetrical return, the, the risk reward. Um, but I'm in this position where, you know, I'm, I am, I see the safe Haven asset class, but I'm actually not saying that I'm putting, you know, a hundred percent of my money. And, um, there's enough validity to say, yeah, Let's like let, let it be time tested. What you do know is is that the cutting edge uh, asymmetrical information, staying on point, knowing what's happening, you know, is the maybe just as valuable as 
um, as anything, because once that 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 um, confirmed validity of the hodlers thing, you know, once that once you see more to the horizon, you'll be the first to actually invest and there won't be the news then hits later that then the you know international money comes in after that and so um just a a point that the wisdom of like listening and you know financial literacy is so important in this season because there's so much volatility there's so much um, that can change on a dime that won't follow the same systems it'll be cyclical but it won't be the same rules and beliefs that people are believing yeah yeah and that network effect is really the key that makes me the most excited. I mean, that's built some of the biggest businesses of our generation, right? That's, sure. that's Facebook, right? It's, it's network adoption. And yeah. with every new recruit, the network becomes stronger and less likely to fail because the base is bigger. You know, following that thread, like whatever it ends up being, um, this is early. This is early still, you know, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's why for me, like I'll continue to build the position, but I will treat it like gold. Like I, I didn't sell gold. It was in my safe when gold hit whatever, uh, 1890, a couple months back in August, still there, keep buying now. I hope to give it to my kids, right? Maybe that's what I'll do with Bitcoin. I don't know, but I just want it. I want a horse in the race. Don't want to lose sleep over it. Simple. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I think it's John Maynard Keynes that says successful investing is anticipating the anticipation of others. And so that's what you're doing. You're, you're saying, Hey, let's, um, let's actually see who's actually can hold the emotions. Who's actually going to hold tried and true to their points and uh, what assumptions are they making? And then assuming that they're, you know, not strong and, um, and not following the noise. Uh, Yes. I've always appreciated that you've been a a voice that cuts through noise. Um, Your channel, Cambridge international, um, it's done a really good job of that. And so I appreciate you coming on, man. I look forward to um, continuing to iron sharpen iron as we get through this next few quarters and uh, seeing how we can build wealth together. Blake, I love it. This has been fun. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, you're welcome, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jay Martin. He's such a wise thinker and it's just so good to, you know, call timeout, cut the emotions and really process how might I build more wealth now than I have in the past? You know, there's nothing riskier than widespread perception that there is no risk. So it's time now to get our head out of the sand, to dive into a wealth of knowledge, understand what's happening right now in your investments, where you need to be, and figure out how to get there. If you want to invest alongside us, pull out your cell phone right now, and text Solomon to 31996. We are what you call your Solomon general. So if you follow the Solomon investor revolution, you need a general. You need someone who sits above everyone else in their perspective, who's God directed and actually sees the asymmetrical returns before they come and invests your money there. If you have interest in that, Text Solomon to 31996. You'll be texting me directly. We'll go back and forth and I'll get you into our insider track. So one, you can gain more wealthy wisdom. Two, you can take action with us. And three, you can become a Solomon investor for life. God bless you guys. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys, here comes the thanks and the shout outs. We want to thank everyone 
that leaves reviews and the written reviews on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms, just know they mean the world to us. If you've taken the 30 to 60 seconds, you know, extra seconds to show love and to give context of why this has been worthwhile for you and why this podcast has helped you, we thank you. We're going to give a couple shout outs of our favorite reviews each podcast. So please give us some love with a five-star review and thank you for joining the Solomon Investor Revolution.